welcome to After the Bell with your host, Laura. If you like what you hear today, please rate and review kindly. This show is a series of conversations with educators and learners to try and deconstruct some of the stereotypes around education. If you'd like to know more about me, please visit my Instagram page at EducatingLaura. Hello everyone, thank you so much for joining me today. This is the Friday blog episode and I thought that I'd fill you in after discussing my year sevens last week and how they were struggling a little bit to self-regulate in the classroom after having so much autonomy over their learning space during remote learning and struggling a little bit with them in terms of how to allow them to concentrate and engage in the tasks. And I got some advice from Meg Thompson and she is a behavior consultant in the US and I actually have on my podcast which will probably come out next month it'll be a double episode and her big thing is kindness over power ultimately and really hates fear-based strategies and hopes to encourage learning through love and kindness and meeting the need rather than disciplining the symptom, I suppose. And I love everything that she stands for. And she mentioned to me that if we allow our kids to be advocates for their own learning and ask them questions and just listen, which seems really simple, but it's funny how the simple things tend to be able to create big change. So that's exactly what I did. And I gave them a little questionnaire and I asked them to fill it in. And I'm not going to share all of that with you, but it was really lovely to see how insightful they were and how much they were able to take responsibility for what was going on in the classroom, acknowledging bad behaviors as well as negative habits that had been created over lockdown. But also there were things that came up that I would never have found out had I not done this little survey. And I've got a couple of things to share with you. And I did ask them if I could anonymously discuss it. And it's so funny because a few of them have said to me, oh, you have a podcast. Oh, maybe we'll listen to it. And if you are in my classes and you're listening to it, hello, it's lovely to have you here. But how amazing that kids are listening to an education podcast and considering their education. I mean, that's to consider what's going on from the other side of the desk. You know, we teachers always want to be better and to teach you better. So if you are here, thank you for being here. But These are three that sort of stood out for me in terms of some of the questions I asked and the answers I received. So one of the questions I asked was, what do you wish your classroom had in order to help you learn better? And one of the students said to me, I don't really mind, but I'd really like a beanbag or a chair that I could lie back in because I have back pain. And I'm not sure that I would have gotten that information or that insight had I not done this activity. So that's something now for me to keep in mind if this student is fidgeting or moving in their seat that perhaps she's actually in pain. Another question I asked was, what did your virtual learning classroom look like? So when they were at home, what did their classroom or what was their working space? And one student just wrote, I just slept the whole time, lots of sleep and feeling really sorry for myself. So even though they potentially had the capacity to learn, the headspace was something that prevented them from learning. And that's something that now we have to build up again or we have to undo some of those negative behaviours or self-talk at this point. And the negative associations, I suppose, with learning and 
be more productive. And another question I asked was, were you able to motivate yourself during online learning or was that challenging? And one of the answers I got was, I kind of thought about not doing most of my work, but then I realized it was just going to affect my future. So they did have that incredible insight in terms of trying to motivate themselves. Some of them really struggled. Some of them pretty much said they had nothing better to do. But it's a good activity to sit down and have these conversations with them and get them to consider what has actually happened during this remote learning and how we can pull them out of it together as a community rather than having expectations of, yep, they're back in class, it's all going to be as it was, because I do think that's a little unrealistic. So here is the blog that I wrote on the 30th of June, 2020, and it's called The Teacher I Needed. If I'm being really frank, I made the decision to become a teacher before I considered if I would be any good. My interest in English and biology at school allowed me to develop a natural affinity with my teachers of these subjects. They were both young women, dedicated and passionate. However, as a student, I don't believe I ever truly connected with a teacher. There was always distance and a boundary around them that I never wanted to infiltrate. I never felt comfortable enough with an educator to feel as though I was personally cared for. Educated, yes, but not particularly considered. Now, I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing and probably had just as much to do with me feeling shy or not confident enough to take up my teacher's attention outside of the time allotted. However, I know that I would have benefited from finding a mentor during those formative years. I saw Steve Bidoff speak about raising boys when my son was just nine months old. He suggested that a boy's life can be split into three parts. Basically, from zero to six, the impetus is on love feeling loved and understanding how love is shown and this is often demonstrated through the maternal relationship. From ages 6 to 14, boys begin to focus in on their father figure in order to learn how it is they are to show up as male in society. It is the ages from 14 onwards that I would like to quote. I believe this is the age when we fail kids the most. In our society, all we offer the mid-teens is more of the same, more school, more of the routines at home, but the adolescent is hungry for something else, something new. What's needed is something that will engage the spirit of a boy, that will pull him headlong into some creative effort or passion that gives his life wings. In every society before ours, from tropics to the poles, in every time and place it has been studied by anthropologists, mid-teen boys received a burst of intensive care and attention from the whole community. This was a universal human activity, so it must have been important. These cultures knew something we are still learning that parents cannot raise teenage boys without getting the help of other adults. Mentoring today is mostly unplanned and piecemeal, and lots of young men don't receive any mentoring at all. Those doing the mentoring, sports coaches, uncles, teachers, bosses, rarely understand their role, and many do it badly. Parents have to ensure that mentoring happens, and they should have a big hand in choosing who does it. And that's an excerpt from Steve Bidoff's book, Raising Boys, published in 2018. So that is the responsibility I believe teachers have. We are part of that greater community for the next generation. We are not just a backside shuffling to and fro in front of a whiteboard with the occasional hand gesture to emphasise importance. We are influential and that must be honoured and acted upon. For me, once the sheer enormity of the profession eased and I started to find my flow amongst the curriculum, resource development, disciplinary practices and reports, I then allowed myself to consider who I wanted to be as a teacher. And these were the values that have continued to remain integral in my practice. Be firm, but fair. 
It is important to me to not harbour a grudge. If I have a bad class with a student, I will wipe the slate clean for the next lesson. As we know, we all have a mental load to carry and we can be incredibly private about them, even with ourselves at times. I understand that and I honour that for my students and colleagues. However, it is important for my own self-respect that my boundaries are adhered to. Students naturally flex their behavioural muscles to feel where the boundaries are firm, where they get genuine pushback from a teacher. It is natural and the one day you can't be bothered enforcing that boundary, you have just given that student more space to misbehave. If I say I'm going to do something, I will commit, whether that is bringing marshmallows to toast over a Bunsen burner or meeting a student at a detention, I always follow up. Communication is key. In my first year of teaching, I was encouraged to not just give instructions verbally. Many students need the reinforcement of written language on the board behind them to guide them once your instructions have been disseminated. This was just one piece of advice that demonstrated the importance of varied modes of conversing. As a teacher, I need to communicate with a student in my room. The students in my room that change every year, no matter how often I have taught the subject. With students that have different preferences for learning and may need theory reframed in different contexts, despite the fact that my explanation made complete sense to me. There is not one way to learn and there is certainly not one way to teach, even if it is my preferred method. Also asking, does that make sense or do you get it, is often met with awkward nodding or silence. I've learned to formulate questions that allow for genuine feedback so that I can gauge comprehension. Knowledge without arrogance. As a new teacher, I felt I had to be the most knowledgeable in the room. In fact, if I didn't know something, I would get nervous. I worried that I wasn't doing my job or concerned that they would be exposing me for being a real person rather than an educating robot. However, as the pressure I placed upon myself lessened and my confidence grew, I began to see the gaps in my understanding as an opportunity, an opportunity to let my students shine. Perhaps they could share something with me educate each other. If not, they could see how I dealt with not knowing. I wasn't ashamed. I became curious. I asked questions and I did research. I engaged in conversations with the class and we became equals, people with a common goal working together. Compassion over unconstructive criticism. I remember going to a wellbeing seminar one day that discussed the idea of the emotional bucket. Basically, we all carry one. We fill up our buckets throughout our day, Some elements from family and childhood are permanent fixtures in our buckets, while other components move in and out. We may not always be aware of how full our bucket is until we are pushed and it overflows. I like this visual. You never quite know what it is that someone is concealing in their own personal bucket. The decision to reprimand rather than often compassion in a particular moment can be taken in one stride or be potentially damaging despite your own intent. So I choose compassion and empathy over denigration. Be authentic. I feel this is the catchphrase of the moment. However, for me, it embodies so much more than a passing trend. It's a value to live by. I am sure every teacher has heard advice like this. Don't smile before Easter in order to garner both respect and fear amongst the students. I listened to those well-meaning educators for the first few years, implemented what they said, and the problem was when I began to connect and enjoy what I was teaching, I would then drop the facade only to try and pick it up again later. But, as any actor would know, dropping in and out of a character doesn't result in a particularly believable performance. So, although I am not inviting my students around for coffee to discuss the intricacies of my weekend, I am true to my own personality. I'm sure you've heard that kids can smell fear. Well, I'm here to tell you that they can sense someone fake too. Passionate beyond the curriculum. 
I completed my arts and science degrees before I did even one education unit at university. It is why I find it so ironic that despite my love of my subjects, they are not what motivates me in my profession. I am motivated to know my students, connect and make an impact. I am inspired by the genuine privilege I have to make a difference. I want to offer my students skills for not only learning, but so they can be successful in life. I have no interest in using the same worksheet that I did last year if I know there is something better out there that will engage my new group of students even more. I am prepared to take a risk, to make a mistake if it means I can grow and be better. My passion for the curriculum I teach is such a small part because the true drive comes because I get to teach, period. If you enjoyed that blog, you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media, give it a good review and five stars and subscribe because that helps it get out there and to the people and to the ears that would like to listen to the content. I really appreciate you being here. Thanks for helping me grow this community. And I have an incredible episode for you Monday with Sarah. So hang out for that one. It's not exactly like all the others and I love it for that. It's got a great perspective. Thanks.